This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs. Now let's get into today's show. Today I'm chatting with Brad Laporte, who had previously spent time in US cyber intelligence, large technology companies like IBM as a product leader, managed security services like SecureWorks to help companies respond to breaches, and of course, the leading research firm that we all know, Gartner. Today, Brad works as a partner at High Tide Advisors, a firm specializing in go-to-market consulting. I'm really excited to welcome you to the show for our very first full episode of the Detection Scale podcast. Uh, welcome, Brad. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Great to be here. Thanks, thanks for taking the time. So you've done a lot in, in endpoint security, which is one of the themes that when you're doing detection and scale is really important, right? Uh, for security teams who need to protect the companies they work for, they need really w- well-rounded sets of data and endpoint is always a really important part of that puzzle. You have cloud, you have network, you have endpoint, you have application, and then you have database. So while you were at Gartner, you spent a lot of time analyzing the endpoint security space. You worked at, at IBM and SecureWorks on endpoint tools too. So I guess I'm curious, how have you watched the endpoint detection and response space evolve over the last five years? Yeah, it's been really interesting. And if we had this podcast, you know, basically six years ago, we we wouldn't even have a name for EDR. So um, it's really interesting to see it kind of transition. And it really came to fruition back in 2014. Um, and I like to kind of call out the kind of the major catalyst that shifted the mindset from traditional methods and traditional antivirus and shifting into more of a proactive and you know what was originally next generation AV uh, and transitioning into endpoint protection platforms. And bringing on board, uh, first it was disjointed with endpoint detection response and EDR technologies and very rapidly intertwined. And it was this uh, tar- target corporation breach that happened in December of 2013 that kind of you know made people realize that hey uh, maybe we should have a security camera on our environment to kind of have a lay of the land and see what's going on there. Um, and you know first you know organizations were really you know hesitant to implement it um, at the time. It was the focus was heavy on prevent, and there were different solutions at the time like Bromium and Vincia. Uh, there was a lot of uh, interest and investments into application control technologies. So like Bit9 was the big one at the time that eventually uh, acquired Carbon Black and then put the name over. The um, And it kind of transitioned over time where you, organizations would kind of bolt on EDR to their either traditional AV um, and then have that be kind of an over, overlapping element and kind of implementing that defense in depth. So to use an analogy, I mean, organizations would basically have a a prevent aspect to it, they'd have the traditional AV and eventually implement uh, the next-generation AV, which the key difference between the two was uh, with next-generation AV, you actually had additional coverage and protection to 
that basically, you know, protect against file list based attacks and, and get into th- those different elements. And then, but, you know, it's always a cat and mouse game with, with attackers and, and criminals because they're always ahead of the game. They, they're, they're well-financed, well-resourced. And it's always, they've always been ahead of the defenders. So they, they basically have figured out ways to get around that. And that's kind of where EDR is picked up. Now, the overall adoption of that, uh, there's been a convergence since then of, you know, really EDR uh, has converged completely with uh, EPP. Either, you know, organizations have built out their own native, native solutions and uh, or through an acquisition and, and, and to a lesser extent, uh, you know, basically design partnerships. Um, and as part of this, it's it's kind of built out and having like what's called EPP suite or basically additional add-ons that have been bolted on. So you no longer need a separate tool for DLP. You don't need a separate tool for web filtering or a host-based firewall or you know, data encryption on the endpoint. You basically can have a comprehensive solution all in one. And you know, not only do you have you know multiple locks on your front door, but you have a pretty robust security camera. You know, throughout your entire environment, and give you that level of visibility. So, you know, you, you basically have a lot uh, stronger protection, and and really, it's kind of uh, an outlier in terms of organizations that like really just have EDR on its own. Um, so, it's really been interesting to, to see that evolve, and then in parallel with that, you know, when we when we first rolled out EDR, it was all on premise. Um, there's only like a handful of solutions out there that that really had embraced the cloud and. And much of where CrowdStrike is today is, um, which is they are a, a strong leader in the space. You know, they, they their primary success is due to the fact that they were one of the first to implement a cloud native solution. Um, so you know, now today, you know, most if not, you know, I'd say the mass majority or over eighty percent of the solutions out there in the market now have you know a cloud based solution. Um, and 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 and. and Actually, it's been, it's almost the inverse. Like a lot of them have even like deprecated their on-prem solution, and that, that core use case is really phased out. And the organizations that really only have it are managed, you know, managed security service providers, and uh, now we're seeing managed detection response providers. Uh, you know, basically having that, you know, having EDR be a core part of their platform, along with other. Uh, security tools that that help from the prevention perspective, both on the network and endpoint layers. Yeah, it's a really interesting space. And I like that you called out Bit9. It actually really brought me back to the early 2010s. I completely forgot about that tool, but I used to use that all the time when I had worked as a practitioner. Yeah, I I used it in my early days as well. I mean, really, it's been the flagship product around application control over the past you know, really the past two decades or so um, since they came into inception in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, other solutions have come out. So, you know, you basically got, uh, you know, Semantic and some of the traditional AV vendors have added their app control products. And you know, really, I've seen, you know, especially working at Gartner and having the hundreds of different conversations that I've had over the years, um, you know, a lot of organizations have struggled with application control uh, just because of the the difficulty that it takes to implement, manage, and maintain, and um, and overall, it's just uh, incredibly difficult to to get to that level of uh, management. And a lot of uh, companies have you know kind of stopped investing into it, and then you know, to a lesser extent, kind of either quietly or aggressively deprecating it. So you touched on a lot. Thanks for actually giving that background. I think that was amazing context and really really helpful for me. 
I'm curious on what you think really caused this shift from from AV products to EDR products. Was it like the combination of of other tooling combining? Was it certain attacks and attackers sort of modifying their their TTP and like what really do you think caused that shift to happen? But to go from like AV to where we are today with EDR tools like CrowdStrike and, and others. Yeah, really what it came down to is um, attackers were figuring out how to buy, bypass traditional AV. So traditional AV works by, uh, basically it's rules. It's, it's rule-based. And um, you know, if you don't have a rule for something, um, you know, then you start running into your areas where you, you have a zero day or you have a scenario where an organization, a, a, an attacker can basically get around that rule. So if you know what the rule is, it's kind of like showing your cards in poker. Like, okay, uh, I, I'm going to go all in because I know you only have a two pair. Um, <laughs> so, and, and that's kind of how it works in terms of, um, you know, being able to implement that. And what EDR did was it actually had this security camera that um, basically shined a light into uh, the environment to identify, okay, there's a regular uh, capabilities in here. And, and you can actually implement um, things that could detect wireless-based attacks and, and, and shifting into that. So more and more criminals were using uh, like PowerShell um, which is still the number one attack vector that they get in, and using the command line to, and effectively using code to be injected and and modify and, and get into the environment. It's it's effect, It's still the, the 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 main way of getting in, and it's. Uh, you know, I don't want to say it's trivial or easy, but you know, it's it's pretty much like getting a copy of the the key to your front door and just kind of walking right in. And you know, that's one of the major ways that they get in, and um, you know, it's exacerbated by the the amount of you know credentials and data that's been exposed you know, really over the past 20 years you know every, everyone's basically been had their password hacked you know, multiple times mm-hmm. uh, you know over that time period uh, and it's really been that shift that's kind of uh, embraced DDR and then and, and implemented it is really getting that that additional defense and depth that you know traditional AV as well as you know CPP in general it, and prevent is just not enough. You need more than just having a lock on the front door. You need that camera to, to search the environment and, and act as like a, a trigger mechanism so you can basically detect and respond, which is the namesake. So to go a little bit deeper technically on the camera analogy, like how do yeah. EDR tools apply that necessarily in, in lieu of just using rules? Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, at a high level, going even down further, it comes down to, I mean, it's it's the continuous recorder is really what it comes down to. So uh, what how the it's working on the back end is it's actually recording all the network connections, all the process changes. Every time there's something that's executed, I mean, really all the key components that are are all the telemetry data on the back end. So you know every time there's a keystroke or a process that's run, uh, anything any kind of activity that's having on on an endpoint, regardless of what it is. You know, anything that basically, uh, you know, this technology is obviously uh, agent-based, at least for the, the current term. And then that basically sends the telemetry data back to a, uh, a, a collection database, you know, typically in the, the form of a cloud server. And, and it, it collects and consolidates all that telemetry data. And then, and then as part of that, there's several different uh, detection engines that have developed over time to de- 
to identify key things that um, would uh, identify malicious activity. So you have behavior detection, um, you have machine learning, um, and then you, you still have the, the traditional signatures um, that you would have with traditional AV as well. And then the, the best part about it is you can actually ingest your own threat intelligence. And typically that comes in the form of, uh, of IOCs and IOAs and different in indicators and identifying, okay, here are known bad things that, uh, you know, a, a particular criminal group might do. And, you know, and with threat intelligence, uh, you know, most of the things that are out there, they, they can either come in uh, machine-readable TI or, uh, you know, it, or it can be finished intelligence that can be ingested either through regex queries and, and different, um, uh, different ways of ingesting the data, whether it be through an API like Sticks or Taxi, or you could use a system like Tynes uh, or anything that's really going to pull it in via an API or any kind of ingestion method. And now most EDR tools, you know, they have a pretty open API now that can ingest uh, threat intelligence in, in many different forms. And it's this threat intelligence that goes above and beyond just rules. And, and it's you can customize it for your specific environment, which is excellent. And, and now we're seeing really cool stuff come out where... Uh, you have like detection as code and, and you could actually, you know, if you're pretty crafty behind the keyboard with Python or, you know, some other uh, coding language, you can actually take that code and, you know, you can basically ingest it into your SIM or you can uh, ingest it into, you know, an EDR type tool. Um, this is very embryonic though. It's very, uh, you know, things that are like starting to get into that point. And usually it's, you know, a little bit more uh, difficult to get it up and running in the first place. But, you know, especially, you know, the main entry point that, that um, organizations have been able to do it is like, um, you know, many years ago, I worked with, uh, you know, Carbon Black to build out um, what we ended up calling CD Live. So you actually have a command line interface where you can actually run scripts. And the original use case was actually for instant response. But, you know, we figured out very quickly you could actually use it for more proactive threat hunting and then cultivating threat intelligence and being able to take that threat intelligence and apply it down to the endpoint uh, in specific areas. And and that's basically where kind of like uh, it, things have basically evolved into like this this concept that's evolving, which is you know, detection as code. Right, yeah. I mean, detection as code is critical for a lot of reasons. I mean, I think the flexibility element of it the expressibility side of it, and really just operating at scale, right? We, as practitioners, would always write Python-based scripts for automating things for us. And I think this is just the, the maturation of those patterns into, into products now, which is really cool to see. You started to talk a little bit about this, but I want to go a little deeper. What are some of the challenges that you've seen with deploying EDR in a large organization? Uh, the biggest challenge is not technical. Uh, so I'll start there. A large portion of it is the politics and organizational structure and ultimately getting stakeholder buy-in to implement it um, in a way that it can be adhere to proper governance and, and navigate the trials and tribulations of change management. So some, I've seen some organizations, it takes them weeks to months to implement a change in their environment, like adding a net new agent. So, you know, the, from a technical perspective, it's actually easy. I've actually seen uh, over 100,000 endpoints be rolled out in, in under a 24-hour period because, of the, because 
the, the literally the building was on fire. Uh, it was an instant response. They were on the front page of the newspaper. They had to get these agents out there to do the proper forensics and eradicate the threat actors that were persisting in their environment. Um, and I've seen that many times over the years it, where you can rapidly deploy that. I mean, for the most part, these tools are you know pretty lightweight agent. It's usually less than 10 my, megabyte file shows up in your ad programs. Sometimes you can hide it and all this other stuff. Depends on the tool that you're using. And um, so it's relatively trivial to actually roll it out, but it's, it basically comes down to the organization's ecosystem and politics that are around it. Um, so anything you can do to basically justify and educate your leadership around the importance of it and the return on investment and the business case and, and all of that is, is really going to be paramount. Um, the other thing is really... Uh, having the, a proper plan around testing and having, you know, effectively like a proof of concept or a proof of value. Um, there's different terminologies that are used where, you know, you basically start off with an agent test, you use your core images that you're, that are going to be applicable that, that, that you'll implement. You know, most organizations have five or less images that they would be testing. Obviously, as you get a bigger organization, you would roll out that way uh, and you'd have more images. But doing an agent test, making sure the agent plays nicely in your environment. And, and most most agents now, uh, for the, at least for the top 20 EDR vendors that are out there, um, the agents have come a long way in terms of performance and playing nice, uh, with, both with each other. Uh, if you have multiple different tools or you have like basically one tool for AV and one for EDR or, something, or vice versa, the um, they've really come a long way in terms of just having ultimate performance and keeping it under 1% uh, CPU and, and going through that nature. And then um, from an actual testing perspective, uh, you know, actually having use case and, you know, what are the, why are you implementing EDR in the first place? You know, we want to stop ransomware. Okay. That's a good use case. Let's start with that. Uh, and actually running through that and being able to implement that type of capability. Um, and the other thing too, is like, you know, one of the kind of technologies that have been evolving over the years, especially in 2021 is uh, leveraging like breach attack emulation type solutions and uh, things that can assess your operational readiness. Uh, it really helps with basically going through security tool validation for like EDR, um, uh, EDR tools, but also like SIM or you know, really any security tool that environment where you, know, you can actually emulate the environment that you have. And then you can actually use the tool that you have and and either have simulated or actually live malware, uh, you know, basically go after your your endpoints just like it's your live environment. So it's kind of like having a live fire expert. Um, so, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I ended up teaming up with um, a company called R Threat. They have this this uh, excellent way and approach uh, to doing just this and and kind of walking through these types of POCs and um, really helping add value to the core purchase because some of these like edr tools they're they're not cheap you know they mm-hmm. they, they can get up there in, in terms of you know, uh, you know double digit sometimes triple digit per endpoint depending on, uh, on size um in terms of implementation so yeah definitely i mean i've worked in a lot of large organizations and seen a lot of this unroll too and it's it's certainly a, a large um, financial investment as well but you know, with the rise of ransomware and a lot more attacks um, targeting people individually, it's definitely worth the investment. So I have kind of a different question. So there's a lot of open source tools out there. 
And for the engineers listening and you know the teams who want to build essentially their own version of an EDR platform, like how do you think about the differences between the OSS solutions like like OS Query, for example, versus something like a CrowdStrike? Yeah, you have to look at your own skill set. So, um, you know, basically, uh, <laughs> something I learned a long time ago is like, uh, if you're going to build a server, you know, don't build it on Linux if you don't know Linux. <laughs> and like, if you're going to build a virtual machine, don't start with VMware if like you, you're not an expert in, in VMware. So I would say, you know, now is you know building an EDR tool is the is like not this isn't the time to learn. Um, you know, if you want to tinker and have fun, that's great. Just don't put it on the the corporate network. So these companies have spent billions and billions of dollars perfecting these types of tools uh, and implementing it. I mean, it's just kind of it comes down to you know, being, building your own car versus going out and buying you know, a brand new car like a. a and some of them are, you know, a Lamborghini or Ferrari, high-end performance, uh, and they're they're really good at certain things. And and some are more utility-based, and they can do, you know, a lot of a lot of things. But you know, it, but it's kind of like they're they're okay at a lot of different uh, use cases. So it's kind of best of breed versus you know more of a general uh, practical approach. Um, so there's tons of open source out there. Um, and you know that are that do some great stuff, um, and there's a place for that. And you know, if you have a full global sock working twenty four seven, you have a seven figure budget, and you have a heavy need for customization, you know, there might be a use case there where there are certain open source tools, you know, including EDR, and then above and beyond EDR, because there's, there's tons of things like out there like. Um, you know, like sandboxing. So you get um, mm -hmm. you know, different sandboxing tools and different IR tools where you can do additional forensics and, and all these different automations. There's SOAR, uh, there's SIM. You know, there's all these different things that you could actually implement. And 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 basically, I mean, even a lot of these these tools actually have open source on the back end too. So um, like OS Query, you know, a lot of them actually use OS Query on the back end. It's just they've streamlined it. The other, the other aspect that I'll highlight is the supportability. So uh, if you're actually getting a contract with a top vendor, uh, they will have a support contract you know, typically embedded into it. So you can actually pick up the phone and call somebody. So, um, you know, I, <laughs> so it, it really just comes down to that. You know, if you're going to implement something at the enterprise level for your corporate and you, you need that high availability, you need it to operate 24-7, which with an EDR tool, you, you, you obviously need that. Um, Oftentimes, with a, a open source solution, it ends up being um, not having that support contract in place. And there are some like you know, serv you know service organizations, consulting organizations that will kind of layer around that open that open source tool, especially the more popular ones. Um, and you know, there's things that are more mature than others. So it's kind of a mixed answer you know if you're a small and medium business and lower on the maturity and you don't have like an a, a team of like 30 different analysts you know running 24 7 operations you know uh i would probably just wait and and build that out over time yeah i mean i think most security teams aren't that really robust <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> large team and they do need to rely on on companies yeah the thing that i always say is 
the security teams should focus on security, not on building and, and maintaining tools. Right. It, yeah. It's, it's just it's a rabbit hole. Yeah, it's a it's, rabbit hole. What ends up happening is the the lead, you know, one to three people that work on that pet project end up implementing it, and and they do all the care and feeding. They put all the effort to implement it, and then they end up rotating out. You know, either they get promoted, they move laterally, or they just leave the company altogether. And then you know, you just have this shelfware that no one knows how to use, and there's training aspects to it, and resource constraints, and and everything else. Um, the other aspect too is with open source. I mean, you're you're basically subject to that community, and you might, you know, subject yourself to software vulnerabilities that might not have occurred if it was an enterprise product. You know, because because you have you know a, a robust you know billion dollar company that's you know doing proper best practices around software development lifecycle and and maintaining all those vulnerabilities, they. It, you know that's that's leaving a major hole open. I mean, basically your your back door is like completely wide open because of that vulnerability, uh, and that's oftentimes how uh, attackers will will actually bypass EDR, which is you know becoming more and more prevalent. And and currently today, there's um, you know that's that's certainly becoming a, a very top concern. Yeah, it's a great point. And then even on top of SDLC, there's there's compliance frameworks and other things that companies have to follow to even do business with um, other organizations. So that adds an additional layer of controls that they're required to follow. So right. it, it really is, you know, the best of all the worlds. It's like the security team gets a product that's highly vetted um, from an organization that has a lot of things and standards in place to ensure that they're delivering the highest security. And then the team just gets all of the benefits, right? They get to use the tool and everything. The, the one thing about open source that I've always loved is the fact that if I'm using a tool that is very highly technical and I'm slightly confused about how it works, I can just go look at the source code. Um, but also I'm unique in that I'm a software engineer, right? I mean, a lot of security practitioners aren't software engineers. So it's sort of questionable how um, much of a benefit that really is in practice. But for me, it was always really helpful where I could be like, oh, I'm trying to do this thing. and I don't know how exactly this works. And the docs are a little bit off, but I can at least go read the source code. But it's definitely not a reason over a lot of the others to to want to deploy open source. Yeah, that's it's all super interesting stuff. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in both spaces, and I, I think you have you hit it right on the head. So, just a couple more questions here. I'm I'm curious on going back a little bit to what you were saying about like attack emulation and readiness and playing into other tools. How do you see an EDR platform or system really working with? A, a team's SIM, which is really the the core of all of their other security data across their network, their cloud, et cetera. How do you see that integration really playing out and, and being successful? Yeah, it's really tight. And um, I actually ran into uh, this as being like a major challenge uh, when I ended up working at IBM and running their, their managed security service offering, where you know, we basically had two sets of client base, you know, ones with SIM and the ones without. And um, so, I mean, if you got, if, if you're just getting started, you were an organization, all you have is traditional AV, you know, my recommendation is to implement the EDR as a top priority. You know, at least you have a security camera on your endpoint uh, and you, you, you effectively have at least some kind of uh, security around that. And it gives you some kind of visibility, at least across your, your endpoint devices, which are the most vulnerable. Um, you know, organizations start, you know, as they, they get up in maturity. So you know, typical organizations are 
stack ranked and um, levels of maturity from one to five. I've seen a couple of zeros over the years, but you know, the uh, yeah, you know, typically one to five, and then you know, at at a level three, you know, you really you, you have enough tools in there. You have a vulnerability management solution. You have uh, your your endpoint security. You have um, you know all these different components that are collecting all this information, and it's like you can only swivel seat so much. And and one of the benefits of Sim. Uh, is having kind of that single view into your environment. And you know, a large portion of that is endpoint, but it's also network. And it's actually doing that log analysis and and looking at you know all those different telemetry data and then you know basically doing correlation across those elements. So if I see someone you know doing reconnaissance and pinging my firewalls and uh, you know I see you know telemetry data on the IDS, I see Stuff on the endpoint, and then you know I also have you know my sandbox and and a bunch of other things going on. I can actually take all that information um, and actually build correlation rules on top of the the the, the underlying detection engines and different uh, elements that are there. And that's another benefit of having threat intelligence because I can inject that threat intelligence not only at the endpoint layer, but I can I can actually correlate it across you know all those different sources. And, and basically have the sim do a lot of that heavy lifting and and having it be bi-directional at the endpoint. Um, so you just get significantly more visibility. I mean, it's like effectively having like a a, a, a goldfish in in the fishbowl and then just taking it and kind of you know throwing it out there into to a larger pond. Uh, so they have visibility. And, and this is kind of this concept is really what's been driving forward like the need for data lakes and the need for having more data and, and more, uh, you know, access to more information uh, to be able to process it effectively in an efficient manner. Um, so it's it, it's it's certainly ubiquitous. And you know, whenever you we had any kind of major security um, a, a kind of a attack or vulnerability or something that's basically was happening across the world, you know, a major campaign that was making the the front page of the newspaper. Uh, it was always easier for us to push out rules and push out uh, kind of like having a fix uh, faster and having additional visibility and being able to detect it faster and and respond to it uh, faster when when they actually had a sim in place. So, Yeah, and it goes back to what you were saying in the beginning around how EDR tools are designed to just collect everything. And when you scale that out to, you know, you mentioned 100,000 systems, you can imagine that... That is, you know, several terabytes of data per day, probably from just that one single source. And you really do need something like a data lake now or like a cloud data warehouse or something like that that can really handle it. Yeah. And that's that's part of the challenge too, is like, you know, a lot of organizations, it's kind of a mixed bag. Like organizations have invested in SIMs and you know, for the most part, a lot of them have had it for, you know, so the SIM. Sims first came on on the scene like in 2006, and before part of that, it was uh, uh, you know a collection of logs, and uh, it was like the CLM. Um, what was it? Uh, it's uh, consolidated log monitoring. I think it was what it was called. But the um, you know since then, you know, it was really built where you know the the gigabyte error wasn't in the terabyte error. It wasn't meant for exabytes. And, and the large number of data that people are trying to push through this. And it's like trying to consume a, a hamburger through a straw. And, uh, it, you know, 
it really it, it requires organizations to think outside the box of like re-architecting their environment and like how do we use the edge more? How do we be more performant and be able to scale more effectively? You know, at at, at machine speed. Like I don't have time to rebuild servers and and do you know all these configurations and all this heavy handed maintenance. I don't have the resources to do that. Um, and that's you know, it's effectively kind of what's happening now and kind of why. You know, traditional sims get a bad rap is you know they're they're not able to scale effectively so you know it's interesting to see how this evolves over time it is and on the spirit of evolution uh the thing i wanted to ask you is you know as a startup advisor at high tide you know you have the benefit of really looking into the future of tech and working with these early stage startups um in developing technology that would hopefully in the next five ten years become mainstream so I'm curious, like, what tooling are you paying attention to right now that you're excited about? Yeah, there's a couple of different things that I think that are occurring right now. I think that um, number one is more and more organizations are uh, investing in uh, zero trust architecture, which I think is great. Uh, I think that when the internet was implemented, it it was a lot of the implementers and uh, governments and and corporations that built their businesses around it were very naive and in, in thinking that you know, it, you know an open market without any kind of governance or security and really just trusting everyone a web of trust and all these kind of traditional approaches is it, it really you know wasn't the best in terms of security and now that bit has been flipped and and now organizations are like okay well you know, you have to earn the trust uh, first before we, you know, we start doing handshakes on the back end. Um, and that's great. You know, it's great to see that, you know, both from an authentication perspective and just from a software development lifecycle. I mean, it's almost becoming ubiquitous overnight. And it's been something that's been kind of increasing, I'd say, over the past, you know, really two, three years in terms of implementation and, you know, I've, you know, for the military and Department of Defense, it goes even further back. But um, kind of adopting that mentality and implementing it is is definitely key. And um, you know, it's and it's going down to all layers of uh, kind of the larger ecosystem. So you know, for endpoints, it's going down to the firmware layer uh, as well as IoT devices um, and getting down to those lower elements. So one of the things you know, going back to our EDR. Um, discussion, you know, there's only you know, count on kind of two fingers, like how many vendors out there actually have visibility down to the firmware layer, um, which is another you know, area where attackers to bypass those types of tools is, is getting into that level because, you know, now attacks are starting to go down the stack, as I like to call it. Um, so zero trust is certainly going to help with that, especially with solutions that can lock down code and, and prevent the modification as well as uh, you know, being able to prevent uh, one of the major uh, entry points, which is credential stuffing and and implementing of that nature. Um, the other thing that I'll add is just overall operational readiness, and and basically having it be going from it being a single event of like, hey, you know, we went, we got through this compliance audit, uh, you know, yay, we're secure, uh, to having it be more continuous and having it be a operational exercise the way that the military treats things. And you're, you're constantly going through and doing these assessments. So if you remember when you were a kid in elementary school and you go through and 
you know, you'd have the fire drill and you never knew when the fire drill was really going to come out. And, you know, basically you'd have to go through and, and then go through your exercises and make sure that it, it effectively became muscle memory. And organizations need to adopt the mentality of like eventually, very soon, organizations are going to be in a continuous state of a data breach. It's not just going to be one ransomware attack, which now you know, it's going to be many that are happening at once. It's, it's going to be supply chain attacks. It's going to be phishing. It's going to be many things that are happening at the same time. You're going to have to balance many attacks at the same time. Um, and it's only with automation, uh, having these best practices, understanding what your current state and your desired state are, and then making that continuous improvement over time that you can can really um, you know get to the level of proficiency where you can you know, get above the, the rising tide. That's really great advice. And actually, it sets up perfectly for us to, to end the uh, <laughs> podcast today. So... Just to, to wrap things up, you know, we talked a lot about EDR today and you, know, you gave a, a ton of amazing knowledge and, and context on that. And I think people will, will walk away from this just feeling really informed and, and enabled to really take on EDR for their organization. So the final question I have for you are, what are three pieces of actionable advice that you'd give to security teams listening in who need to succeed at deploying EDR at scale? Yeah, so number one, I'll give the advice is start today. So a lot of people, they, they, they think, okay, next year, when we have budget, uh, blah, 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 insert excuse of the day. And, you know, Really, it comes down to no excuse leadership. So what happens when you take out all the excuses, you get results. And that's the type of mentality that you need to have because uh, the criminals aren't going to wait for you to get budget. They're not going to wait for you to implement. They're not going to do those things. So do what you can today to to um, get started. And then the second piece that I have is improve every day. So don't treat it like a heavyweight approach. Uh, treat it like agile. Treat it like you're lightweight. Every single day, just improve a little bit. And it's over time that you realize that you, know, you, you end up implementing a very mature program. You go from level one maturity to two to three to four to five very quickly. And you know you you can you can once you start showing value and showing progress, it it gets contagious and it spreads like wildfire across your organization, you know both up and down and uh, and horizontally as well. Um, and the last thing you know, I would say is definitely double down on automation in any way shape that you can. Anything that you can standardize and and streamline and uh, have it be repeatable without having human intervention uh, is seen as a good thing. Um, especially like you know, having your entry-level employees learn to code, you know, learn Python, learn different methodologies, because uh, what's happening is like we're getting to a point where we need to detect at the speed of now. So like we we no longer have time to build IOCs or have to uh, you know, build out rules. I mean, this is kind of like the challenge that we had with the traditional antivirus back, you know, six, seven years ago, back in 2014, when we had this this paradigm shift towards next generation AV and the EPP and EDR today is that the rule, it took too long for rules to come out. I mean, we couldn't wait till past Tuesday. We couldn't wait until, you know, the software developments do that. And then what ended up happening is like each hot fix was on top of a hot fix. So you had like multiple hot fixes. 
And then what do you do around zero days and all these other different elements? And, and if you're able to code and you're actually able to build your own software on the fly, uh, and you know, not not build like you know open source software in in, in the traditional sense, but like being able to do like a line of code that can you know solve a major problem right then and there on the spot goes a real long way. Uh, and we're seeing the advent of you know, infrastructure as code. We're seeing detection as code. Uh, and this is, you know, very embryonic today, but I, I anticipate, you know, very quickly, you know, in the next couple of months and, and definitely in the next year or two that, you know, this ends up becoming a core function, functionality and skill set that, that um, talk teams as well as, you know, both on the security and on uh, the network side, you know, leveraging these types of skill sets to, to you know, really level up their, their capabilities. Absolutely agree. Well, that was an amazing ending to the show today. Thanks so much, Brad, for your time. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Jack. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website, runpanther.io to sign up for a free trial. You'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.